0: Jump back into the book of Galatians. The Apostle Paul is talking about freedom. But it's not the freedom that we should, uh, that we live under, that we can just go and do anything that we want to do. It's about being free from something, and now we can use that freedom that we have to go towards something else. The Apostle Paul today is going to teach us uh, how to get freedom from all different types of bondage. Uh, You know, First, we have to identify different things in our lives, uh, maybe from the past, things that maybe have crept back up into our life that, that uh, you know, that we kind of tamped down with the, with, with the help of the Lord kind of gotten over, and then all of a sudden those little things start creeping back in, and, and, you know, that some of that stuff just rolling around in our brain and it get, get gets us all tied up again. Some, some of the old practices or addictions where we might say, well, I have liberty to do that, But then the next thing you know, the devil's got us into it again. And once again, we have to break of our our shackles. We have to break off of of being handcuffed to that through the help of Jesus Christ. The last several weeks, uh, uh, we've been talking about how, you know, Paul's beautiful story. He has his doctrine, and he's really good at teaching his doctrine. But he also has a great and wonderful story that goes along with it. And, And it reminds me, we all have a story. We all have a story, whether we grew up in the church and the Lord got a hold of us at a young age and protected us from a lot, of, a lot of wonderful things. So we sitting there, you know, some of us sitting there going, well, I don't have this big, huge testimony. God saved me from this big thing, you know, like other people have, where the Lord has taken them out of a terrible situation or saved them from, from whatever uh, things they're into and, and, and literally rescued them. And they have this dynamic testimony. The Lord uses both. We all have a story. And his story is, Paul's story is about receiving grace and it radically transformed him. And that really gives hope to us all. The saving grace that changes us. Not, not just the grace to say, wow, um, you know, whew, I, I'm covered now, I'm good. You know, but one that changes us, one that transforms us. It, it changes the person who we are from within. So Paul's mar- narrative, if it was taken out of context, you would think that he was being prideful. I mean, boastful even. He uses phrases like, man, I was the best Pharisee in the world. I was the top of my class. And we're all like, well, good for you, Paul. Yeehaw. I mean, come on. But then later he says, I'm the worst sinner of sinners. I've been the worst. And and so you start to realize that this is how Paul communicates. So So we have to take him in context. And his story gives us hope that God can change someone we should never give up on ourselves we should never give up on on others especially those that that we're struggling to love paul is proof that a prideful selfish stubborn self-righteous person can be changed by the power of christ into the most loving grace-filled peaceful servant of god Paul will use two words the most often here. He will use the word apostle and the word bond slave or slave. And he sees himself as a slave to Christ, somebody who is given the authority over. So this is a different than, than the, you know, uh, the slavery from the 1800s that we've talked about in the past and how terrible that is. This is a slavery where you, you give yourself over. You're saying, I am under their authority. He sees himself as a slave to Christ. Sometimes the most, you know, radical transformations happen after we ask God for them. We realize that uh, we're messed up, and we realize that God needs to change us, and we go to God and say, I am the problem. Now, most of you can relate to that. You're sitting there going, Alan, yes, you are the problem. I, you know, but I am the problem, we say uh, to the Lord. But then there are other times when God goes to work on us, and we've never given him permission to work in this area. This is the kicking and screaming version of God changing us. You know what I'm saying? This is when, this is my my brother. Uh, I I love this story. He was in elementary school. And we lived in a little small town. Everybody knew everybody, okay? And uh, he had done something in class. The principal came, or the vice principal came down to get him out of class because he was causing a disturbance. And my brother clamped his mouth onto her arm. And she literally was walking down the hall with him on the arm. He would not let. Go, I mean you know that 's the kicking and screaming version of of God trying to change us god 's not going to let go of us, okay uh, you know even when when life is doing a number on us and, and we think the devil is doing something or karma or whatever, and life is completely falling apart, maybe it 's health issues or financial issues or friendships or are moving or going in a direction that life that you didn 't think was going to happen, circumstances beyond our control. In a sense, the perfect storm, we often will say stuff like, man, the devil is just going after me. And it could be the devil. But sometimes it's the Lord allowing things to happen to try to waken us up, to change us, to modify our behavior, and to transform us out of love. In a sense, it's like the military. You're breaking a person down so you can rebuild them back up. This is what happened to the Apostle Paul at the age of 35. And he would say to you, hang in there. I know what it's like to lose all my friends. I know what it's like to to realize that I've been wrong all these years. I know what it's like to to come to grips with with who I really am and and what I've done. I know what it's like to have Jesus hit you, you know, to hit me with with health problems just to slow me down a little bit. I know what it's like to be embarrassed and lonely and, and have a whole reset on life. This is what happened to Paul at the age of 35. It's encouraging to us. And Paul would say, I didn't invite Jesus into my heart. I mean, it's great if you did, but Paul would say, I didn't invite Jesus into my heart. Jesus clawed his way into mine. Jesus carved out a place for himself, and he wrecked my whole life when he was doing it. But he was saving me when he did it. He was saving me. Paul was the New Testament author who teaches us the most about Jesus, about Jesus saving us from sin and death, and yet his life story is about how Jesus saves us from ourselves in reality. What is that like? Oftentimes we are completely surprised that our old self completely cooperates with sin. Have you ever come to that realization at one point or another? You're in the middle of something, you're like, man, I've just given over to this. I've completely just given over to it. That old self. How much of our old self has to be transformed for the Lord? How much of our old self will have to die for the Lord to really use us? Because true salvation comes, and it has to kill our old self. You know, the old man in us, as Paul says, the human side, so the new man, the Holy Spirit side, can thrive, and it doesn't feel gracious when it's happening. We're surprised about it. In fact, we cry out about it, and God says, I am doing this for your own good, Alan. Have you ever had a parent say that to you? I'm doing this for your own good. They hate it as much as you hate it. I know that now that I'm a parent, you know? But, you know, he's sitting there going, I'm doing this for your own good, so you don't have to take the full punishment. So it's actually done out of love. It's like chemotherapy. You know, uh, you use something awful to kill something awful. So you can be cured of cancer. But, you know, as I've talked to different people who have gone through that, in the middle of it, there's a dark period of time when you're sitting there. I mean, your mind just kind of is going, is this even worth it? But then you get to the end, and you're very thankful And this is what the Lord is doing for us spiritually. The salvation of Jesus offers something painful, but it's definitely worth it in the end because he's changing us into his likeness. In fact, he says in Romans, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We say, oh Lord, Lord, why am I suffering? Paul would say, well, hang in there. The suffering is only for this present time. It's only for this moment in time. But the glory of God is great. You, you know. And, and here's some questions that we need to be thinking about. What, where would I be or who would I be if Jesus hadn't saved me from myself? Think about that for a second. Where would you be if God hadn't saved you from yourself? The old Alan, the old sinful Alan, the old man as Paul talks about. And secondly... Who who can I become if I continue to follow or allow the Holy Spirit to complete this transformation? What can God do with me if I allow him to? But I have to keep allowing it to happen. And we say, well, I don't have the strength. But the Holy Spirit does. Jesus does. That's why he sent us a helper. So now let's review a little bit of what Paul said in Galatians 1. uh, Because his points are pretty clear. 1. He says, I was boastful and considered myself a great Jew. Man, he was a good Jew. He followed the law. Two, I thought the new Christians were, were, were bad for my religion and bad for society, especially the Jewish followers. I was the hardest on them because they should have known better, and I went out to seek them and went out to kill them. Three, while doing that, Jesus confronted me about my life and showed me my mistakes Come to find out, it was all a big mistake. I thought I was right, but I wasn't, Paul says. And Jesus had to knock me down to get me to listen. And number four, I went away and studied through all the scriptures again to really see who Jesus was. Because he, he had a new thought on, man, all this stuff I knew, but I wasn't seeing it through, through God's eyes for real. So I had to re study it all to understand what Jesus, uh, what Jesus did and that he was the perfect Lamb of God. He went to the cross. He died and rose again and defeated death and now one day I will defeat death also. And then fifthly he says now the Holy Spirit directs my life in a whole new role. I'm an apostle now as a former former Pharisee. I've now become an apostle of Christ and now I'm supposed to be going to a non-Jewish world. That was his goal. He keeps saying I was wonderful but it wasn't enough. If I couldn't keep the law The Jewish laws. If I couldn't keep those godly ways, then no one else could because I was that good about it. No one else could. Therefore, something was wrong with the Jewish law. But now that i found Christ, I'm free. So I don't need anyone's approval, and we're going to talk about that today. Because he says, before I would have gone to the Jewish leaders, I would have gone to the Sanhedrin, I would have gone to my bosses, or my teacher Gamaliel, and all these guys to get my approval, and now I don't need to." He says, "Now I, I, I know that Peter, James and John are ruling you know, uh, ruling the, uh, you know, the New Testament church from, from Jerusalem, But he says, "I don't care if I have their approval, because I answer to Jesus. That doesn't matter. Now, he will go to Jerusalem to meet with these guys and clear up some issues, and he shows them respect, and they also show respect back to him. It was a mutual thing, because in Christ, as Paul said, there's no Jews and there's no Gentiles. There's no male, there's no female. There's no slave or no free. We're all on a level playing field. We're all sinners saved by grace. So he says, I don't care anymore because I'm you know, playing to an audience of one. As long as I know that Jesus is pleased, that is what matter, matters. And, and the Father sees me through the lens of Jesus. And if these other guys, they can approve or not approve. I don't care. But if God disapproves, he's going to let me know. So he's totally free of this, this whole approval thing. He says his whole life, he was this guy who either approved or disapproved of others. He sat there and judged people. That was his job. But now that, that he is not acting this way, he understands things. He understands people. And now they're attracted to him because of the grace that he gives out. Before he didn't let stuff go away. You know, he didn't he didn't let anything go. Now he attracts people because he loves people. Let's actually get into Galatians, Galatians 2 this morning. He says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed leaders, other words, you're talking about Peter and James and John, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles, I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had been uh, and had not been running my race in vain. He's saying I'm going to check in with these guys not for approval but for accountability to make sure I'm I'm teaching and preaching what is correct. And he took Barnabas and he took Titus with him uh, there. And they had been on him with his first missionary journey and so forth. Uh, Barnabas was from his home church in Antioch. And Titus was from Turkey. and, And Barnabas is Jewish. And Titus is a Gentile. Both highly respected leaders in the New Testament church. Titus is, you know, being a Gentile, and Paul really depends on him to understand the culture, the Gentile culture, because Paul grew up ultra-conservative Jew. Eventually, he sends Titus uh, uh, later on to Crete to become the bishop of the area, the one in charge of the area churches and so forth. And later, he writes him the book that we know of as Titus. This is an important part. And one of the important parts is that he was a Gentile. So in verse 3, it says, yet even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. Now, none of us would ever think, I'm going to go meet with these guys. I need to make a decision on the surgery beforehand or not. That just doesn't make sense to us. You know, as adults, we would never do something like that. But back then, um, you know, we, as we've talked about, the Jewish faith said that if you came to the Jewish faith as an adult, you had to be uh, circumcised and have that surgery. And if you've never done that before, you know, and Titus comes through and he goes, but I'm not of the Jewish faith, people. I'm of the faith of, of what they called the way, the faith of Jesus Christ. I'm a, a Christian Gentile pastor. I don't have to get approval of all these other people. Jesus never said anything about this so therefore I'm not going to do it and I certainly am not going to do it you know, just because Peter, James, or John says so. Not that they're going to. But that's kind of the, the thought pattern here. Now as you know these three were not telling Titus to do that but there were many others that were coming on and coming through and trying to get Christians to jump through all these different hoops in order to be truly a person of God, truly a Christian. They would keep bringing it up over and over and over. In fact, Paul deals with this several times in the Scriptures. The three main things the Jews would hold to are, first, if they said you wanted to join our faith, if you wanted to say Yahweh is God, well, the law is from God, so therefore, one, the male had to be circumcised. And if you have kids, your boys have to go through it too. Secondly, you have to obey the Jewish food laws, you have to be kosher you you know this includes who you sit down to eat with that means even though they're gentile christians you can't eat with them because you're jewish i means all these weird things and thirdly you have to keep the sabbath religiously those were three main things along with a whole bunch of other rules but three main things unfortunately you have these new christians who were jewish who are now christians but they're not fully accepted the grace that Paul was teaching about. So what happens is when he comes into the church, into this graceless peace, they say, Well, Paul told you some things, but here's the full story. Here's the things that Paul left out now that, that you're here and Paul's gone. You have to become Jewish before you become a Christian. And what happens is uh, you become a Judaizer, is what they call them. You are not a real Christian unless you start following these three rules, unless you start doing all these different things. So as soon as Paul leaves the area, man, these guys would swoop in and start teaching this deceiving gospel, making them follow all these rules. Christians were now being circumcised. Christians were were now keeping all these different food laws and keeping the Sabbath. And Paul's coming back and saying, no, 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 wait a second. I left that stuff. That was old religion. That was old self. We're not going to go down that path. Uh, You know, know, Judaism, it's not Judaism plus Jesus. Now, some of you are thinking that the modern church, uh, you know, there's some application here. But before we go there, I want us to know the full story. Paul's now called to the Gentile world. And as fun as, as it was to hang out with other cultures, I'm sure there were times when Paul just went, Man, who am I, and how did I get here? You ever been in that place where you end up somewhere and you're just going, I don't, I don't even know how, you know? And hopefully that's a good thing. Hopefully it's not a negative thing, you know. This is very different than Paul's upbringing. Peter struggled with this also. He had a vision from God, you know. He had to have a vision from God to clear it up. We'll see how Peter will will backtrack and he'll blow it here in a second because if you start adding religious rules to what Jesus did, immediately the individual or the group is robbed of joy because we turn our back on grace. We lose our joy because the joy of our salvation is I do not deserve it. You understand what I'm saying? We don't don't deserve the joy of our salvation. I don't deserve salvation. The greatest joy comes from those who have been forgiven the most. You understand what I'm saying? Those who have gone through a past and and the Lord has really saved them out of terrible situations, they ought to have much more joy than a person who's grown up in the church because because the person who's grown up in the church doesn't quite understand that. And, And the Lord gives appropriate joy to both. Don't get me wrong but you understand that you don't deserve it. So how do we bring this in our times? Well, have you had any, you know, church experience where self-appointed, you know, religious gestapo or whatever, you know, where they say, well, well yeah, we we're all saved, but there's all this other stuff you gotta start doing now. And you start searching the scriptures and come to find out it's not there. And you're surprised they will say well well but it's a it's a it's a church tradition it's a christian tradition and and, you know over the years we find it uh, we we find it that it, it is the best way or they say you're saved but you also need and all of a sudden that list becomes very long there's all these unwritten rules now i don't know if you follow baseball ken does a lot you know there's all these unwritten rules in baseball. You know, the way you look at another player, or this player does this or that, or the, how you flip the bat, where you flip it toward the infield or out. And all, all these different things. There's all these unwritten rules. That's the same thing we do with, with Christianity. We say, well, don't you, don't you dare even violate them because you're going to be out. And then they just gossip about it. Maybe you're not out, but they just gossip. Anyone relate to being feel, you know, like they, they feel judged by the church? Even though Jesus says, I've come not to judge, only the Father is to judge, but we feel judged. Why? Because you weren't following the rules. Well, what are the rules? Well, you don't know. You have to learn them along the way because they certainly aren't in the Bible, a lot of them. <laughs> it's like a marriage. I mean, for men, your, your wife thinks you get it. You know, there's a religious organization that watches a little, you know, a little too closely to make sure what we're behaving. Or maybe you're the one watching everybody else. You know, I was, I was raised in a very religious, conservative church and, uh, where we were free to worship as long as we followed the rules. There was an asterisk, okay, by the songs that you were supposed to stand up on. And don't stand up on a song that doesn't have an asterisk to it. Well, one night we were singing the song when I was in high school, and somebody messed up in the bulletin, I guess, but the song was Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. Well, some of us in the youth group, we thought, well, hey, let's stand up. That's what the song says. Before I even got home, why my dad wasn't at church, I don't know, but before I even got home, I walk in the door. Somebody had already called him, and my dad's screaming at me, we do not have charismatic kids in our family. All because stand up, because the song said stand up. I mean, who wrote this rule? You know. <laughs> Once our youth pastor invited a speaker to a youth rally, and the speaker spoke in tongues. Someone actually interpreted. It was a really cool experience. The, probably the only time I've ever seen that done the biblical way to see the Lord work through people. But oh man, you talk about board meeting upon board meeting upon board meeting. They just wouldn't let it go. But the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord can use different things, but it has to, you know, I mean, there are some rules around that. The Bible sets out clearly when that can happen and how that can happen and so forth. So don't don't get me wrong. Some of these churches that just go all out, you're sitting there going, well, that's not in the Word of God, you know. But we have all these rules that are attached to our salvation, I know some churches that, you know, if we have a Bible study and you get saved, but, you know, we have the tank warmed up to go dunk you for for baptism, if we don't get there in time and you get in a car accident and you die, you don't get to go to heaven. Where's that in the Word of God? We all have these rules that aren't there, that are attached to our salvation, I can remember when we moved to California, we found a church, and we started serving in that church, cleaning up coffee pots after the church, the service, going to the pastor and saying, hey, I'd love to help out with the youth, you know, and he's he's going, great. Two weeks later, found out the youth pastor was leaving. He's like, you're on staff. What? (laughs) Then Christmas comes around, staff dinner's over at my wife and I's apartment, and And we're having a great time getting it all ready, and the pastor shows up with a bottle of wine. I'm like, um, I mean, that went against everything that I grew up with. I mean, you had beer in your house, you were a heathen. If you had a bottle of wine, you're like right there on that line, and we, as Baptists, we didn't get on that line. No, Uh uh-uh, you know. And my mind is saying, wait a second, this guy, my pastor, why is he sinning like this in front of the staff? That's how Paul was acting. That's a Judaizer, okay? You can put whatever word, whatever denomination. It took time for me to work through these rules that I grew up with to find out that it wasn't in the Bible. It didn't say drink alcohol, go directly to hell, do not collect $200, okay? The Bible doesn't say that. Now, the Bible does talk a lot about drunkenness. We shouldn't do that. We have a penance toward that stuff. We should abstain from that, okay? So again, we have freedom, but that doesn't mean, oh, I can just do whatever I want. It's freedom to go toward Christ, okay? Some believe that if you don't speak in tongues, you don't go to heaven. These are all beliefs that do not have a foundation in the word of God. And there are those who believe they are the rule authority that they should point out every time somebody else breaks the rule. So here we have some questions to discuss later this week. Think about these things. Talk amongst yourselves at home and so forth. What religious rules do I abide in that I believe are connected to my salvation? Whose judgment do I actually fear? Is it those sitting around me at church, or is it God? Is Christ's sinless life, sacrifice on the cross, and resurrection, all that I depend on for God's approval. Well, let's finish up. Paul goes to Jerusalem to clear some things up. And what happens is, is stuff that we will talk about next week, but let me clue you in. In verse 9, James, Peter, and John say, you guys are doing great. You're doing great. Don't forget about the poor when you're out there doing a missionary journey and at your churches and preaching to the Gentiles, but you're preaching what is correct. Uh, and, and then, you know. Uh. <laughs> they started going, Now that you started eating bacon, you know, it was okay for having bacon, but you know, we need to be careful with this, and you know, and and they kind of backtrack a little bit and you know, don't do it if it offends somebody and there's a big eye roll. I mean, all this stuff is going on there. But this and Jews come up from Jerusalem and he saw them and started pulling away. So so basically what happens is Peter goes and visits them, and Peter starts going, Wow, there, there's this freedom here We're on these Gentiles. I don't have to follow these Jewish kosher laws. You can eat bacon. That's fine. It doesn't offend me, you know, um, and, and so forth. But then some of the Jews come up from Jerusalem, and they saw him, what he was doing. So he starts pulling away from the group. And he, you know, he acted like he hadn't even been there. And Paul will totally bust him. He says, this isn't going to work. You're insulting my leadership of the Gentile church. Now, I don't think many would publicly confront Peter. I mean, Peter's, you know, the foundation of the church, right? Christ said, I'm going I'm to build my church upon you and what he meant is as, as people like you. And, you know, but Paul does this through accountability and everyone needs someone who can say to them, dude, you're wrong. You're way off on this one. If you don't have someone that can do that, then find someone. Who in your life has the authority to correct you now, don't go out and find nine or ten of them, okay? That doesn't ever work well. One will do. But what's amazing is if it's your spouse, it means you have a good marriage. Or maybe your kids are older and your kids can come to you and say, hey, I, I think you're off on this one, dad. Or, uh, you know, mom, I think, you know, what are you doing here? What are you doing with this situation? And as he goes forward, Paul is going to use this example of, of what, you know, what he did with Peter in the discussion he had to say, I'm confronting you in the same way. He's going go to go the, to the Galatians. He's going, he's telling the story about Peter. and He's going, I'm confronting you guys in the same way. Why would you go back to being Jewish? When you know it, was it working for you? To feel that, that, you know, all of a sudden you're superior to everyone else and feel like you're the only ones going to heaven and, and, and the only way for others to join you would become Jewish to begin with. Jesus didn't come to say that. He came to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way to the Father is through me, receiving the truth of the gospel. What is the truth of the gospel? Christ was born of a virgin. Christ lived a sinless life. Christ was crucified for your sin and my sin. Christ rose from the grave and beat death. Christ sent the Spirit of God to live his will through us and work in us, which is the will of the Father. That's a simple gospel Message. Let's not mess it up with rules and regulations and not putting people into real freedom. Those are the questions I put up earlier. Earlier I didn't mark it, but uh, so often we will take the things that we've learned from our childhood and say that, because I was taught in church, that's the way it is. When we need to say, that's a good foundation. Let me see if that's in Scripture. That's a good foundation, but let me check it with the Word of God. Not just one verse the totality of the Scriptures. And we've talked about this often. This is why we teach verse by verse. This is why we go you know, through a whole book at a time because we want to understand the context of what is being said in one verse because if we take that one verse and take it out of context, we can make a lot of rules and a lot of regulations over those things and we miss the whole point of what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us through the Scripture when we do that. Christ is born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He was crucified for our sin. He rose from the grave and defeated death, and he sent the Spirit of God to live in us and do his will in us and through us, which is the will of the Father. It's that simple. Let's not mess that up. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Why don't you stand and we'll pray, and the worship team will come up and finish out a song. Lord, we, we come before you as humble servants as people who, uh, who try to allow your spirit to, to work in us, we, we pray that you look into our lives, and if there's things that are, that are in there that are not kosher, that are not pure, that is of you, that you point those things out to us. But Lord, uh, I pray that we, we not look toward other people for our approval, that we look toward you, that you are the one that judges and, and, and we aren't, I pray that you give us the grace that, uh, or or help us deliver that grace to others that was given to us. You've given so much grace to us, Lord. So much so that, that we ought to understand that we can give that out to other people. That we gently correct, but we do that from scriptures and we do that through love. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May he bless you today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.